0: This is Care Plus Cures, Advancing Children's Health in Silicon Valley, a podcast brought to you by the Lucille Packard Foundation for Children's Health. Through the Care Plus Cures podcast, we share stories of triumphs and challenges by uniting patient families, doctors, care team members, and donors like you to advance transformative health care for children. I'm Sarah Davis, a donor and your host for this episode.
1: Did you eat
0: fruit on the job? Smash. What you just heard was clipped from Fruity Feet, one of the virtual reality programs used to help kids in physical therapy, created by Lucille Packard Children's Hospital Stanford's Chariot Program. That stands for Childhood Anxiety Reduction Through Innovation and Technology. I'm here today with co-founder Dr. Tom Caruso. By day, he is a pediatric anesthesiologist. By night, He, along with co-founder Dr. Sam Rodriguez, innovate new ways to use immersive technology like smart projectors, augmented reality, and virtual reality to capture a child's imagination and reduce stress. Through fun games like Fruity Feet, Space Burgers, and Sivo the Dragon, they can decrease anxiety, lower post-operative pain scores, and improve overall patient care. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Caruso.
1: Thank you, Sarah. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Tell us about the clip we just heard.
1: Traditional therapy includes asking patients to walk in place or lift your knee up or lift your leg out. It's very uh, didactic and prescriptive. What Fruity Feet does is it gamifies physical therapy. So let's say I wanted someone to march up and down, we would have the patient is on a farm-like setting in a computer-generated imagery, and on that farm as the therapist, I would send, if I wanted them to lift their leg up really big, I would send like watermelons towards their feet, and I would be asking the participant to lift their leg up real high and then squash down on that watermelon or let's say I wanted to have them kick something. I would send some vegetables over just apart from where the foot was and ask them like, kick your foot out and try to kick that. Or in some cases, we have these planes that are dropping fruits onto the farm and you have to facilitate upper extremity motion and you'll ask the patient to reach up and catch those fruit with your hands and and squash them. And so, It bridges the gap between a patient who does not want to participate in therapy at all and on the other side is a little bit more prescribed physical therapy when really getting down into the, you know, flexion, abduction, like particular movements you want to hone in on.
0: And it's kind of a catchy jingle. So... I found this so interesting to hear about what you were using to distract patients as I recalled my own childhood and an intense fear of needles. I remember I had to I had terrible allergies and I had to get allergy shots and often would find myself under a chair <laughs> either in the waiting room or in the actual exam room, refusing to let anyone touch me. And I think now that I've read a little bit about your work, I think I was experiencing some anxiety.
1: Sure, Sarah. And that's interesting because I too, as a child, had severe needle phobia, we call it, and having to get blood draws and my annual flu shots was very distressful. And growing up to become a pediatric anesthesiologist is actually quite ironic since I use needles all day, every day. But that said, I can very much relate to my patients and how they feel when I'm, you know, have to place an IV or give them a shot.
0: Reading about the program, it seems like there's a connection between anxiety, reduction of anxiety, and imagination. And I'm just curious if you can tell me a little bit about how you made that connection.
1: Sure. We've known as pediatric anesthesiologists for quite some time that when you engage a child's imagination, whether that's using technology or just storytelling, the children, particularly at the age range that we deal most with, younger children, they really delve into that imaginative play. And anyone that has children, you probably will recognize that in your own kids at home. We noticed, I would say about five or so years ago when we first founded the program, that children were becoming a little bit less engaged in tablets and smartphones than they previously had been when they first hit the market. And this is because they've become very routine. They're not novel anymore. And lots of children have access to tablets and smartphones at home. My co-founder, Dr. Sam Rodriguez, who's also a pediatric anesthesiologist here, he brought a smart projector from home and had it in his work bag. And it was really interesting to watch. He would shoot the smart projector down onto the beds of the patient, and the patients would start to interact with the image and it's kind of funny growing up, you know, we used to use projectors quite a bit, and now it's an old technology being reintroduced to children today. And they're like, wow, this is so cool. It's like the image is right on the bed, and they were playing with that, and children were just loving it. And I had a background in quality improvement at the time, and what my role with at Lucille Packard Children's Hospital was to enhance and improve the patient experience for children undergoing procedures. So I said, hey, Sam, who's a close friend of mine, I love what you're doing, but what I don't like is that not everyone has access to that. So why don't we do an improvement project where we have enough projectors and we train our staff and our child life specialists and our nurses to be able to use these projectors with any patient who may want them. And thus the Chariot program was born. We had no idea what it would grow into.
0: Can you tell us more about those early days?
1: Sure. So when we first started, we weren't really sure what we were doing, right? We did not set out to do this, and we did not have a roadmap or anybody else to show us how to do it. There was a lot of trial and error and a lot of experimentation, and so the plan was to put a screen and affix it to the foot of the bed. And Dr. Sam Rodriguez, I want to give him full credit. He's really the creative guru here. We started to dabble with photography equipment, actually. And the photography equipment has a lot of clamps clamps and levers and stuff that people use for photography. And we were able to lean on those resources to develop a clamping device that would work on the rail of a patient's bed that would have the power to support a plastic corrugated screen. And in order to go from a prototype to something that we actually use in the hospital daily required a lot of trial and error. So, Being neighbors and neighbors with two young children, we were often relegated to our garages not to wake any sleeping children, as you can imagine. I would head on over to Dr. Rodriguez's uh, garage and we would tinker with different types of clamping devices, different types of plastic boards and check how strong they're going to be if they're going to survive you know the hospital environment with the gurneys being pushed around bumping into walls and whatnot occasionally to make sure these things were going to be safe It was really funny that we were doing this. We did not set out to be a Silicon Valley startup program at Lucio Packard Children's Hospital, but in hindsight, that's exactly what was happening. A lot of innovation occurring after hours on nights and weekends, just trying to see if we could get this to the next level. And luckily, one foot went in front of the next and we continued to build, we continued to expand. And through Foundational support, we were enabled to do that. So we've been very fortunate to make it where we are today.
0: Oh, that's so cool. And what are some of the early ones that you created together?
1: So our first application for the projector was called SIVO the Dragon. And we call it SIVO. That's sort of an inside joke because one of the medicines that children breathe to fall off to sleep is a medicine called SIVO fluorine. So SIVO the Dragon is an application where children are basically roaring into a mask. And in that mask, when they roar, the dragon on the projector will blow fire. And then that fire cooks fun things like tacos or birthday cakes. And then the dragon eats those tacos and the dragon gets bigger. And what the children don't realize is that we've done is gamified induction of anesthesia An induction of anesthesia means it's when you're falling asleep under anesthesia by breathing in medicine. So these children, when they're roaring into the masks, are then taking a deep breath in and they're smelling stinky dragon breath. But that stinky dragon breath happens to be a sevoflurane, which is the medicine. And if you were to put a mask on a child prior to surgery and say, hey, you're going to breathe in some smelly medicine that's going to put you off to sleep, that will understandably, evoke quite a bit of anxiety in that patient. Whereas if you start playing a game on a projector in preoperative area where the child is cooking different types of food and you're this dragon and in the operating room, you're smelling stinky dragon breath as you are continuing to cook those foods, they don't mind it one bit. After they fall off to sleep, then we're able to place an IV and take care of the rest of the procedure. So it's basically taking what would have been an experience like you described earlier, a child who perhaps is hiding underneath a chair or a child who really doesn't want to be there because this is perhaps the most anxiety-provoking experience of their life, right? They're in an unfamiliar environment with unfamiliar people, having something done to themselves that might make them have some discomfort afterwards that's heavy for a child. And we gamify that experience for them. We've actually had some patients want to actually come back to the hospital, which is kind of funny. We don't want any child to have to come to the hospital, but it's that sort of feedback that really fuel what we do because we really want to turn what could be a very negative experience from their perception into a very positive one.
0: Oh, that's amazing. It really is. Can you tell me about a time when a patient who was anxious used one of your immersive tools and it helped?
1: Sure. So we've been talking quite a bit about our projector system that we use a lot in the perioperative environment. Since the origins of the Chariot program, we've expanded Dr. Ellen Wang now helps run the program. She's also a pediatric anesthesiologist. Dr. Maria Menendez is our operations slash clinical director of the program. And we have multiple child life specialists, Molly Pearson, Christine Bay, and nursing colleagues that help implement the program, not just within the perioperative environment, but also throughout the entire hospital. And so we have about four to 5,000 use cases of immersive technologies at Lucille Packard Children's Hospital every year. And so your question of, can I think of a particular patient that really enjoyed this? There are so many different patients come to mind. A couple of different use cases beyond the OR environment include on the floor to help facilitate dressing changes. We've also used it for rehabilitation to help facilitate physical therapy post-operatively. We use it in our ear, nose, and throat clinic to help facilitate nasal endoscopies that are typically done on awake children, having a camera put down their nose. That can be quite anxiety-provoking. Our general surgeon, Dr. Stephanie Chow, she uses it for minor procedures to distract children. The list is quite extensive, and I apologize for anyone who I don't name, but because we've had just such a effusive adoption throughout the hospital the impact has been very very uh, strong and very lasting we had one particular patient who had to have dressing changes after a vehicular accident now these dressing changes were on a very pretty extensive wound and because of that We had to bring the patient to the operating room and have that patient under anesthesia to do the dressing changes because it hurt too much to take the dressings off. But pain is an interesting thing. Pain is actually a perception. And pain can be modulated depending upon your attention to it. And we all know this. So for example, you may get changed at the end of the day about to hop in bed and notice a bruise on your leg and think, hmm, when did that happen? I don't remember getting that bruise. Whereas if I were to say to you, hey, I'm about to give you this bruise and I'm telling you with this hammer right now, I'm going to give you this whack and you're going to get this bruise. You're almost definitively going to say, ow, and tell me that it hurt. Now, interesting, same thing was happening, same inciting event, two completely different perceptions of that. One, you didn't even notice it happened to the end of the day. The other one, you perceived it as a painful stimulus. So for that patient, because we were able to use virtual reality to distract the child's attention into an immersive world instead of having his dressing changes done under anesthesia he was able to have his dressing changes done at the bedside in his room so that means that he doesn't have to fast prior to surgery which is typical making child's be we call it being NPO um, nothing to eat or drink before surgery he didn't have to fast he did not have to go to the recovery room and most importantly he avoided anesthesia. Because even though I am an anesthesiologist, my goal is to actually try to have patients not go under anesthesia. I wish the best for people. It's kind of ironic. By converting his dressing changes to uh, bedside dressing changes, it completely transformed the rest of his care. And we actually sent him home with a virtual reality headset that he was able to use for ongoing care at home.
0: Wow. Wow. What was his experience like with virtual reality and what is virtual reality?
1: Sure. So virtual reality is usually utilized using a head-mounted display headset. And you place this headset over your eyes and within the headset, you see a computer-generated imagery of a world that we've created that is sometimes unlike the one you're currently in. Instead of using a computer-generated imagery, we can also use 360-degree videos of real, we call it the natural world. In this particular patient, he was using a computer-generated world in which he was in space playing an application that we call Space Burgers. This is a software application that we created here at the Stanford Chariot Program. And to some listeners, it might sound funny, but for children, it hits the spot. You're in space flying along uh, and you see stars and planets and some comets. And then instead of seeing comets, you might see a cheeseburger floating by um, or french fries. And as that cheeseburger comes at you, you get to zap it. And as you zap the cheeseburgers and french fries that don't belong in space, you earn points. So this particular patient was using space burgers. And that brings me to another point that I think is important to emphasize. Within the Stanford Chariot Program, what makes us unique and special is that there are other programs that do immersive technology around the country, but we really bring together all four facets under one program. And those four facets are, number one, hardware modification. So it turns out that most off-the-shelf equipment is not hospital ready. We need to provide customized straps, customized face pads that are completely wipeable to be compliant with our infection prevention practices. Number two, we also do software development. We are able to develop actual virtual reality, augmented reality, and projector-based applications that are created for patients, in some cases with input from our patients. Because we have software developers that we work very closely with, Our software happens to be very effective. The third facet of our program is research. We, as uh, Stanford physicians, understand the importance of showing effectiveness to our patients and their caregivers, as well as the professional community, so they understand that what we're doing is actually improving care. And then the fourth aspect beyond research is our clinical adoption. We have some utilizing it as much as we do, we do have organizational staff whose sole role is to make sure these technologies get to patients where and when they need them. And that's outside of our research role. So because we, we sort of manage all four of those areas, it's become a very uh, successful program, I would say, nationally. And we love to share our uh, technologies with people around the world.
0: And it all started at home. Out of curiosity, do you and Dr. Rodriguez ever use your own kids as test subjects?
1: I would be lying if I didn't say I'd occasionally bring home a headset for my children to use when they have to get their vaccinations. In fact, my own children won't do a vaccination without a virtual reality headset on. And that exemplifies the opportunity for Stanford Charity Program to expand to the Stanford Children's Health affiliates and off-sites not located at the hospital. Those are definitely sites that we have our vision set to, and we're hoping that in the coming years, with ongoing foundational support, we'll be able to move into those areas.
0: I wonder if we can step back a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about your story how did you become involved in pediatrics?
1: Sure. I always tell folks I came into pediatrics a little bit sideways. I have always had, a, I would say sometimes people used to call me Christmas morning. And the reason why is because they'd say, Tom, you always seem so excited about things that would just pass by other people. And it's like Christmas morning to you every day. And I I always, always laugh at them and say, you know, I'm just trying to enjoy this life we get right now. So I went into anesthesiology after going to Stanford Medical School because I really felt that A lot of patients were prepared for their surgery mentally. They've met their surgeon. They understand what's about to happen. But it was actually the anesthesia that worried them the most, right? You're transferring your physiologic parameters over to someone you're meeting, sometimes for the very first time on your day of surgery. And there's an old saying in anesthesiology, we don't get paid to put people to sleep, we get paid to wake them up. That sort of exemplifies the fact that this is a very complicated endeavor that we're undertaking when we shepherd a patient through surgery successfully and wake them up at the end of their procedure. As I was going through my anesthesiology residency, I mandatorily had to do a pediatric anesthesia rotation. And on my pediatric anesthesia rotation, I won't ever forget my program director said to me, Tom, pediatric anesthesia fits you like a glove. Children and their parents are very nervous prior to a procedure, and that's very understandable. And one of my main roles beyond the medical care is to also make children and their parents feel at ease with what's about to happen, and they can trust and feel confidence in their anesthesiologists. And I can speak for all pediatric anesthesiologists at Lucio Packer Children's Hospital that we take that mission very seriously. And every pediatric anesthesiologist at the hospital has a phenomenal training background that just humbles me every single day to be a part of such a phenomenal division here.
0: I guess that answers my next question, which is why Lucille Packard Children's Hospital.
1: <laughs> well, that that is an interesting question. I will tell you that I'm from the East Coast. My wife is from the East Coast. I have no family here. There's no reason for me to be here except for Lucille Packard Children's Hospital. And that might sound uh, you know, a little dramatic, but it's not. I stay here because this hospital has a heart to it that when I speak to my colleagues at other institutions, it seems to be unparalleled. The fact that the Stanford Charity Program even exists, the fact that we've had the philanthropic support from our foundation here to entirely fund our program, and the fact that we have care providers across the institute who are helping facilitate this program from our clinical informaticists, to our IS team, to our chief medical information officer, to our CIO on the executive side, to our frontline workers, our nurses, and our child life specialists, and to everyone in between. This sort of program doesn't just happen organically. It only happens if there's a passion and enthusiasm for really transforming patients' care. None of this is necessary. We can hold a child down and give them medicine via mask. We don't need to use immersive technologies. This is not billable via insurance, right? We don't make money off of this. The intentions are pure and the whole institute shares in that mission. So that's why I'm at Lucio Packard Children's Hospital and hope to stay here for many years to come as my children have engaged in elementary school and we've settled down our roots here. I'm very pleased to have landed at such a special hospital.
0: Yeah, it sounds, it sounds really wonderful and supportive. Can you please tell us a little bit more about the community support? How's community supported Chariot to date?
1: Sure. So the Stanford Chariot program exists not just because the hospital is, is willing to embrace it, but because of the community itself. 100% of the Stanford Chariot program, along with all four of those facets, hardware, software, clinical, and research, are 100% supported by the community. As physicians, myself, Dr. Rodriguez, Dr. Wang, we take no money from those community resources we do all of this on the side as part of our academic mission and as part of our faculty engagement with stanford school of medicine the community has been absolutely phenomenal i would say it almost brings us to tears when we meet a donor who wants to support us because that donor becomes part of our family And we love showing them the patients that are being affected directly from their donation to lead to hardware procurement, lead to software development. And it is so humbling to be a part of a community that's so generous and willing to help enhance children's experiences at our local hospital.
0: And how would community support continue to impact the program?
1: I was talking to a physician, uh, gastroenterologist at Packard Children's Hospital who wants to develop software to help her community of children. And I say to her, well, we'll look around and see if we can find a donor to help support the development of that software, right? And the use cases are not decreasing, they're expanding. And as more physicians find out about what we're able to do, and as the technology improves, We are continuing to expand. And that's where we're moving within Stanford Children's Hospital. Someday, our pipe dream would be to have a center for immersive technologies at Lucio Packard Children's Hospital. Right now, as a Stanford chariot program, we're doing really, really remarkable work. A center for immersive technologies would really be the next major step forward to bring what we're doing to a whole new level. That said, it's also important to understand that When people do support the Stanford Chariot Program and we develop technologies for our physicians and patients at Lucio Packard Children's Hospital, technologies are owned by Stanford University, but we have a core value that finances should not stand in the way of other children having access to these technologies. So through the nonprofit, we distribute the technologies that we use at Packer Children's to hospitals all over the nation and in some cases, even around the world. And so we continue to have that drive. And so what what's next for us is not only developing use cases and applications internally for our, our hospital, but For us programmatic directors and for some donors who are part of our Stanford Charity family, they find not only a high degree of compassion knowing that a child in our community, a child's hospital visit has been transformed, but also that that same technology is being used perhaps thousands of miles away. And that gift transcends time and space because it will continue to give for years going forward and not just locally.
0: And just so our listeners know, what would a center be like? What would it consist of?
1: Well, we do a lot of virtual reality work. So we always envisioned a virtual center. We do like to save money everywhere we can. So we're able to invest it entirely to patient facing projects. So we don't envision a center that is a physical structure, but a center that is a virtual center composed of post-doctorate fellows, bringing our research sites to the next level, clinical managers that are able to not just manage the workflow for the entire hospital, right? Right now, Dr. Menendez provides support for the entire hospital, right? You could understand with the footprint of Stanford Children's Health up and down Northern California, you could very much understand how much opportunity there is for an expanded footprint for our technologies to reach all of our satellite sites and other practice places throughout Northern California. In addition to that, we would have more software developers that were working with a number of physicians instead of working on a single project for a single physician at a time, we would have multiple physicians and multiple software developers developing across multiple lines of uh, practice for whether it be for rehabilitation, acute distraction for dressing changes, educational programs to help children understand how to Adhere to their uh, nutritional plans or help children understand how to best engage in their health plans at home. So, we would really take our program to the next level at, with a Center for Immersive Technologies.
0: Nice. And my last question is since Lucille Packard was an avid lover of nature, we like to end every episode with a question about it. What is your favorite activity to do in nature?
1: Well, I'm happy you asked that, Sarah. I have a passion of mine, and that is gardening. I have a front yard garden, okay? And so it's on display for all my neighbors to see and pick from. And I encourage anyone to please pick from my garden because we can never eat all the fruit and vegetables that we grow. Every year we try to grow some new things that we've not grown in the past. This year it's something called pineapple cherry tomatoes, which is this unique food that's like enveloped in sort of a papery shell and you peel the shell back and inside looks like a yellow cherry tomato, but when you eat it it tastes kind of like a pineapple. It's very interesting. And every year we try to do something unique and then we have the standard fruits and vegetables that most folks in the area grow. But that's generally where you'll find me on a nights and weekends sort of tending to and, uh, pruning the garden, keeping it in, in shape and offering it to anybody and walking by like, please take a zucchini. We can't eat them. There's of baseball bats and here's a cucumber and
0: please oh, nice. take
1: take a bowl of tomatoes.
0: Nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, any interest in moving to El Cerrito? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> That's where I am. Well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you taking the time today.
1: Thank you, Sarah. I'll just close by saying thank you to our listeners for listening. And I want to say thank you to Lucille Packard Children's Hospital Foundation for being stewards of the community and continuing to help support programs like the Stanford Chariot Program, but Of course, there's a myriad of other areas that they also help support. And really, without them, we would not be where we are today. So thank you, LPCH Foundation. And thank you, Sarah, for inviting us to participate in this.
0: Perhaps next up, Dr. Caruso's garden in a VR experience. His energy and excitement for life are so admirable, and it's amazing what his team has already accomplished with Chariot. At already 5,000 use cases of immersive technology in a year, it's clear that the possibilities for this technology are still growing, and it's so relevant and needed today. Programs like Chariot are crucial to patient care, now more than ever. During COVID, limiting visitors at the hospital, we need more tools to help kids overcome fear and anxiety using play. Together, we can let kids be kids again. I'm Sarah Davis and this is the Care Plus Cures podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Lucille Packard Foundation for Children's Health. You can find out more about the foundation's work and donate to Lucille Packard Children's Hospital Stanford and support lpch.org. As a donor myself, I'm proud that my donation supports care, comfort, and cures for patients at Packard Children's Hospital and beyond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening.